Heavenly Father, we come to your word, and now, Lord, I pray that we might receive, Lord, your blessing, Father, as we open it. Father, that we might apply it to our lives, that, Father, we might make it practical and allow your spirit to work in us through the power of the word. Thank you, Lord, for what we are about to hear from your voice as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me tonight, we're continuing our series in 1 Peter, 1 Peter, and we are in chapter 4. The title of our series has been Alien Life. And again, as a reminder, that is talking about we as believers uh, who are considered foreigners in this world. This is not our home. Remember that old song, it's not my home, I'm just a passing through. That's pretty much what we are doing. But I think, sadly, we forget that, that this is not our home. And uh, we kind of set our, 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 our roots down into the world and to, to our, our life and, and everything that's going on. And, and sometimes we tend to forget that we are on a journey, that we are sojourners, aliens in this life, headed for uh, this celestial city. So the uh, Apostle Peter, as he's writing this letter, he knows that the churches at this time are going through great persecution. And so this is one of the backgrounds as to the reason why he wrote this letter. And so we come now to 1 Peter 4, and we're going to look at a few verses tonight, picking it up at verse 7 through 11. We're going to look at 7 through 11 this evening. Now, just as, as a refresher, if you recall, the verses prior to this, <clears throat> uh, especially there in verse 6, look at verse 6. He had written, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. And uh, it, throughout this whole uh, passage here, he had been speaking, as you recall in our study, speaking about the day that God is going to judge. He's going to judge the Gentiles, the, the wicked, who have, <clears throat> have persecuted the saints. And so... He continues on now during this, uh, as he had already written about the judgment to come, like back in verse 5, but they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now he, we pick it up at verse 7. He continues, Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So as we look at verse 7, Peter begins by saying, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Now, Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago, and he believed that he was in the last days. Now, why would he be writing this and expecting, you know, the last days to occur 
when he was living. The end of all things is at hand. Think of it. Uh, why hasn't it happened? If, he, if that was the time back then that he felt that the, the end is near, then, boy, the Lord has a lot of patience, doesn't he? The Lord has a lot of patience. How many of you have heard of the doomsday clock? That's quite interesting, isn't it? In fact, it, they began it in 1947. And uh, the doomsday clock is a symbol that represents the likelihood of a human man-made global catastrophe. And, of course, that is, boy, when, when you hear all, all about the, uh, <laughs> the climate change, you know, we, then all of a sudden the, the whole world is into the global climate change thing, the end of the world, and man is bringing the world to an end, you know, in, in nature and by, you know, the emissions and everything else. And so suddenly the governments are changing everything because they, they're counting down the doomsday clock, so to speak. And uh, in the, this whole doomsday clock began with uh, a number of the members of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists that in 1947 got together and says, we can see the end is coming. Just look at what is happening in our world. And of course, you had World War I, World War II, and... I looked it up, and the doomsday clock picture for this year, 2023, do you know what it's set at? It's set at 90 seconds to midnight. 90 seconds to midnight. And that's now. That's the way the scientists are looking at our earth, the universe, everything else. And they think... The time is near. Peter, of course, knows what Jesus said concerning this. And turn with me now to Matthew 24. Let's go over to Matthew 24. Our Lord Jesus was speaking concerning when the end would be near. Because his disciples were asking him, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Matthew 24, and pick it up at verse 36. Look what the Lord Jesus says. Matthew 24, 36. But of that day, and by the way, the, the day when uh, the, the end of these things the, the coming, it's speaking of the coming of Christ, of course. Jesus is talking about his return to earth to judge the world and then to reign and set up his kingdom. So the, the disciples were certainly uh, anxious for the kingdom to come. And so they're asking Jesus, is the kingdom going to come soon? When will, what are the signs of, of, of your coming? And verse 36, Jesus said, But of that day and hour, no one knows. 
not even the angels of heaven. Now, here's an amazing statement that Jesus says. Nor the Son. Do you see that? Nor the Son, but the Father alone. You know what's? Don't even try and figure this out. But Jesus is God. And yet, somehow, God, God knows everything, right? Yet here we find out that there's something that Jesus doesn't know. Because he's allowed the Father to set the time, God the Father set the time, and he's allowed himself not to know the day nor the hour, only the Father, God the Father knows. Verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there, there shall be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming so jesus makes it clear to his disciples no man knows the hour now as jesus is now this sounds like the rapture doesn't it uh when it says and and people have and preachers have used this passage uh in reference to the rapture when the church is caught up immediately in a moment in a twinkling of an eye but actually this passage is not talking about the rapture here. But Jesus is actually talking about his second coming to earth, not in the clouds to call us up to be with him, even though, you know, there are going to be some, we're going to be standing maybe in a field, and we who are Christians will be caught up and the rest will be left behind. No, this is talking about those at the end of the tribulation period that when Jesus is going to return, he's coming in the clouds, Revelation. Jesus is returning, and he's got a robe dripped, as it were, in blood, red, riding a white horse, and he is coming with his saints. He's returning to earth after a seven-year period of tribulation that God has uh, brought judgment upon the earth, and of course, the wickedness. The church is gone and we are waiting for the return of Christ any moment, any time, where he, we are going to be caught up, as the Apostle Paul said, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we're waiting for that to occur. Jesus, of course, here is talking about his return from heaven to earth, the coming of man, and then it's a similar kind of a rapture, where when he returns, Jesus is going to take up from the earth those who became believers during the tribulation period, those who were saved. They'll be the ones here that are snatched away. Just just to uh, uh, a thing to remember. But Jesus is saying of his return, whether it be of that, at the end, his return uh, to earth on that day uh, at the end of the tribulation period, or the day of the rapture, which the apostle Paul talks about that coming day uh nobody knows the day nor the hour and uh 
do you recall uh, uh, some famous preachers that used to um, set dates? They actually would set dates as to when Jesus was coming. Now, I'm not going to mention any names of those past preachers, but it caused quite a stir. Can you imagine if I got up here and said, by the way, church, get your bags packed, get everything in order, write your will, because Jesus is coming tomorrow. The rapture is going to take place tomorrow at noon. Well, that's kind of what these men were doing. They were setting dates, and so everybody got in a panic. You had people that had gotten all their stuff together, packed their bags, sold their house. They went up on top of a mountain with, with their belongings and things. Or, but basically, they just went there and just waited for that moment. Jesus is coming now. And of course, guess what happened? He never came. And the people were disillusioned. They went back. And so some of these preachers went and made a new date. We cannot know the day nor the hour. So Peter is talking about, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. But we must live as if he's returning today. I must live my life at the, in the light of his coming, his imminent return at any moment, any time. And when we, we uh, consider the end of all, as he says, the end of all things, uh, he's not the only one that, that wrote concerning this. Uh, we've got, uh, of course, James wrote about it. James 5, 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. James said the same thing, basically. And then we have John, 1 John 2, 18. It is, John said, it is the last hour. So the apostles were, thought they were in the last days that Jesus could come any moment. So let's go back. I wanted to make this clear why Peter is doing this. Peter is wanting the church to expect the return, though they, we don't know the day nor the hour, expect the return of Christ when Jesus would rapture the church first, then the tribulation period, and then he will return and set up his kingdom on earth. But turn back to 1 Peter chapter 4. So if we know, let's just say tomorrow was our last day and the rapture was going to take place. What would be your list? I was thinking this to myself. What would be your list or my list of priorities? What would be the things that, well, these are the things I have to do, right? You can now, now think of it. What would, what would your list be? Well, what's interesting here is Peter gives a list to the persecuted church saying, here we are in the last days. So this is what you should be doing. And let's look at the few things that he mentions. I don't think any of these would be on my list or yours. Look at the first one, the rest of verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, so because the end of, uh, of all things is at hand, therefore, which means because of that, This is what you should do. 
Number one, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Wait a minute. Be of sound judgment and sober in spirit. The King James Version uh, translates it, Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. How did this get in here in the list of if Jesus were to come any moment that we should be doing this? Peter is saying this should be a priority. We shouldn't be panicking because the, the, we're in the last days. But we should be what? We should be, we should be sober-minded, sober in spirit, and of sound judgment. This is an, an attitude, an inner attitude that we should have when everything else is chaotic all around us. That how important it is to, in the last days, be praying. What should we be praying for? Now, this, as many, many of you know, this, is, this month, August, is what we call our JBC month of prayer. And so every Wednesday night, we're going to open up our sanctuary from 7 to 8. And if you are free to come uh, during that time, you know, we welcome anybody to come into the sanctuary to sit by yourself or with someone else and, uh, and, and have a time of prayer. You can come for five minutes, come for the whole hour. But we're asking our church family to go to prayer. Prayer for the ministries of the church, ministries of the school, and of course for our nation, our families. And uh, there are prayer cards uh, with a list of things on it out in the foyer there in the literature rack if you want to take one of those to give you kind of an itemized list of some of the things uh, to pray for. But Peter is saying, the last days, what should we be doing? We've got to be praying. We've got to be praying. Of course, James said that uh, when he spoke of, of, of prayer, he said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. So how important it is for us to be praying for one another for each of us to be strong in the midst of persecution. Remember, he's writing to a persecuted church. And so just imagine you have just received this letter, a copy of this letter from Peter, and you're reading it somewhere in the world, and you're, you're being persecuted. Maybe you are about you know, to be arrested for your faith. So he, uh, the persecuted Christian picks this up, or the church reads it in front of a, the small congregation and says, well, the end is near. What should we do? Let's have a prayer meeting. Let's have a prayer meeting. Oh, that we, I, I think this should remind us of the importance of prayer. And I think that's the last thing. And I love the way you, you were so honest, uh, guy about you know we can get into the word read the word but how often we neglect prayer in our personal life but here according to peter these last days we should be praying what should we be praying for each other but we should be praying for souls
praying that there would be a harvest, that God would give us more, more souls to come to Christ before the rapture takes place. And so being, be in prayer that the gospel will continue to go forth with power. And that is my prayer concerning Jonestown Bible Church and our school, Blue Mountain Christian School, that the gospel will continue to be powerful, go forth with power. So the first thing Peter lays out on the things to do in preparation for the coming of Christ, have a sober spirit and sound judgment for the purpose of prayer. In other words, pray with a clear mind and a clear heart. Secondly, look at the second thing he on the list now. Verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Do you notice he says above all? Wow. He's, he says above all. In other words, Peter is saying, and this should be priority number one. Keep fervent love for one another? Where did that come from? If I'm writing a list down of things I need to do as a believer before Christ comes, would I put that on my list? I don't think I would. And yet Peter is emphasizing exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was emphasizing over and over to his disciples. This new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Jesus was so concerned about the Christian uh, uh, church loving one another up until his coming when the trumpet sounds. Continuing to love each other with a fervent love. Notice he says there, he says, keep fervent in your love for one another. Keep fervent for your love. And I think Peter might be quoting from Proverbs 10 or taking the truth from Proverbs 10, 12, which says, uh, uh, Solomon wrote, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Now, that this statement, love covers a multitude of sins, Peter, when he writes this, doesn't mean that, well, when a brother or sister sins, we just say, that's okay, keep on sinning. Sin, sin's okay, we're under grace. And sadly, there are those that promote licentiousness in the Christian life, that basically you can do anything because we're under grace. We're not under law anymore. But that's not what Peter means when he's talking about love covers a multitude of sins. It means that if I am loving you with Christ-like love the way I'm supposed to, then guess what? I am going to forgive quickly. I am not going to hold a bitter attitude, hold resentment, hold malice or bitterness towards someone else who may have wronged me, who has sinned against me, another believer who has sinned against me. So many times, have you found yourself just carrying around 
anger and bitterness because of what somebody has done to you. And whether it be a Christian or non-Christian, but especially to a believer, we expect the world to do that to us, but some things we are wronged and sinned against by our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we get so angry and say, boy, they can't get away with that. And suddenly our love fades, the love we should have for one another. But here he's saying that if we have Christ-like love, the agape love, it will overlook the sins that someone does against me. That's what he's putting an emphasis on. This fervent, uh, this word, keep fervent, is speaking of a, a deep love. The love that sent Christ to Calvary. And I need to keep this love fervent throughout my life until Jesus returns for me. I have to put this on the prior, my priority list of things to do, but it has to be at the top. Peter says, above all things, if we are loving one another the way we should, guess what? I'm not going to keep an, uh, an account book of your sins in my heart or in my mind. And I'm going to say, well, here's the things you're against me. And so therefore, um, I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. Or I'm there. You're sitting on this side of the pew on Sunday. I'm going to sit over here on this side. And suddenly there's a wedge. And you know, Satan's one of Satan's greatest um, attacks on the church is division. Dividing. If he can divide and destroy the unity of the church, the body of Christ, where the unity is so important, and then what happens? Then there, there isn't the love for one another that there should be. Suddenly you have a divided church, you have people picking sides, and suddenly Satan has got a foothold, and suddenly there are cracks, and suddenly Satan is getting a victory in our lives. So Peter puts this on the list. He says, put this at the top, look at number nine, uh, verse nine. What's next on the list? Uh, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Here is uh, one of those... Um, now, we think that, well, I'm, I'm hospitable to, to Christians. You know, I have people over for dinner, and we, we have a, a good old time. But really, it's interesting that this, uh, when he's speaking of this ho- hospitality here, uh, it really means the fr- uh, friendly love towards a stranger. It's in the Greek, it's speaking of of reaching out and being hospitable to a stranger, not just someone that is really close to you or someone that you you love and know really well, but it's reaching out and showing hospitality to the stranger as well as to believers. Turn with me to Romans 12 real quick. Let's go to Romans 12. And look what Paul writes concerning this. Romans 12, verse 9. 
Now, Paul mentions love. Verse 9, Romans 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is what Peter's saying. Give preference to one another in honor and not lagging behind in all diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Isn't it interesting that these are some of the things in this list that Peter has put in his list for the end times? Paul's saying the same thing. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. We have to take care of ourselves first. And then he says, practicing hospitality. There it is, practicing hospitality. Am I being given to hospitality. And turn quickly to Luke chapter 14. Let's go over to Luke 14. And the Lord Jesus also mentions this. <clears throat> Luke 14, verse 12. And he also went on to say to one who had invited him. He was a guest, someone's home, to eat. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment comes to you. Verse 13, but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. How wonderful is this? Jesus is basically saying to us, my dear disciple, I want you to not just be hospitable to those that can, can return the favor. But I want you to love those and be hospitable to those that are poor and needy and can't, can't repay you. And I love it the way many times we will put up a, a sign-up sheet for meals for those church members who are maybe hurting. Maybe they just had a baby. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're in the hospital and they can't make meals for themselves. And so we put up sign-up sheets and, and our, our precious family here at Jonestown Bible Church have written their names up there and have brought meals to them when they could when they're housebound or when they come home from the hospital or they come home with the baby or whatever it may be or there's a need we've reached out and it's it's been beautiful to see the love of Christ here at Jonestown Bible Church in the family as you have sought to minister to those who can't pay you back. It's such a beautiful thing. So the Lord Jesus reminds us of this, and that's what Peter is saying. In the last days, be hospitable to one another, and go back quickly to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you can flip now back to chapter 4, 
What does he say after being hospitable to one another? He adds something at the end of verse 9. Without what? Complaint. (laughs) Without complaint. Wait a minute. Do I ever complain about something I have to do? Oh, my goodness. You can imagine how many times. Don't even try and think about it. The times that you were doing something, but you felt it was out of duty. Or I was doing something because I felt obligated. Well, this is the Christian thing to do, so I'm going to do it. Or under our breath, we murmur and complain. All we have to do is look back in the Old Testament and see what God thinks about murmuring and complaining. Just look at the children of Israel, right? When they complained and murmured in the wilderness, that's when God really was displeased with them. So Peter's making it a priority here on the list. When you're hospitable, do it without complaining. Wow. And then let us conclude with verses 10 and 11. Look at 10 and 11 together. And each one, as, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be what? glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is he saying here in verse 10 and 11? He's saying, each of you has received a spiritual gift. He's telling these persecuted saints. He's not saying, go run, go hide, protect yourself at all costs. No, here at the the list for end times, for the nearing the last days, what are we to do? We are to use the spiritual gift that God has given us. Each one of us has at least one spiritual gift. And of course, you can go through the New Testament and there are numerous lists of what those spiritual gifts are. But he wants us to be firm in using them to minister to one another, to build each one another up in the body of Christ through the fires, through the persecution. And I love one of the, one of the uh, fruits, uh, I should say, the gifts of the Spirit that I see time and time again in our church is the gift of encouragement, the spiritual gift of encouragement, building others up. And I know some of you here tonight You've sent cards, cards of encouragement, get well cards, cards of encouragement to someone who who may be going through a difficult time, a loss of a loved one, uh, or or, or something terrible has happened in their life, and and suddenly you just drop. uh, I've seen people in our church just send out a a, a card of encouragement for no reason at all, just to lift someone's spirits. What a beautiful way to use your, one of your spiritual gifts. And I thank you, those of you who do that. Peter is saying, the last thing I want to mention on the list is I want you to understand what your spiritual gift is and use it for the body of Christ 
in these last days because he could return at any moment. And ultimately, notice we are to do these things in the middle of verse 11. Let him do so as by the strength which God supplies. I can't take credit. I, if I think I can do these things in these last days in my own strength, there's no way. But it's God, God will supply my strength that I need to carry out these things. To be fervent in my love for one another. To be hospitable to, to others without complaining. To be of sound mind and be fervent in my prayer life. And then using my, my spiritual gifts to serve others in the body of Christ. I can only do that, as Peter says, by the strength which God supplies. And all this, all these things are done for one purpose. And there it is in verse 11. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs all the glory that God might be glorified. We do these things not to receive credit for myself, not for someone to pat me on the back and say, wow, you're really talented. I love the way you do. And people will praise you for things you do, yes. But we must remember that whatever we do, any of these things on the list, we must do for the glory of God so that at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when he returns... Uh, he will be pleased with us because we've done it for his glory. And we have exalted him in our time while we had our time on earth. And he will be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for reminding us through Peter the things that are important to you in these last days. Oh, Father, I pray that we might be careful, Lord, to do these things, Father, but do them all for your glory. Thank you, Father, for the glory you receive as we seek to do them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.